Conversational business is based on a trend, a trend where all the cool social messaging things we do are going to be leveraged by businesses. It's opened up new opportunities for chatbots and a wide range of new customer interactions. But there's something lurking on the horizon that we haven't talked about enough. And over time, it's likely to be as impactful as all the current technologies we're focused on right now. Today, we're going to be talking about VUIs, voice user interfaces, and we've got a very special guest, so stick around. I'm John Pryor, and welcome to the Impact Podcast. Our guest today is Nandini Stocker, Head of Conversational Design Advocacy and Partnerships for Google. Nandini has created voice experiences for more than 50 of Google's business units, and she's passionate about making voice interfaces more accessible to people. Maybe the best way to summarize Nandini's approach is that we can have good computer-to-human communications without thinking a lot more about where we are with human-to-human -human communications. So Nandini, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you, John. I'm so excited. So in terms of choices, what people might need to what, what choices people might need to make. And I always think in the world of IT, if you had a choice of A, B, or C, the answer is always going to be all of the above. And when will somebody decide, maybe I'm going to do a simple text message to a weather app versus talking to Google Home versus picking up my iPad? What, how are these choices are going to get? Is it going to be made by convenience? Is it going to be made by access? How are people going to begin to decide what interface to use? Or do you think at some point it's always going to be voice perhaps? Well, I think... You know, we've been talking for millennia, um, and we, along the way, we invented other ways of communicating, like written language, and 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 these add in all these other interfaces and computers. And it really comes down to context and what in your micro moment of what you need at a particular time, what's most assistive to you. Sometimes that isn't voice. Sometimes that is uh, you don't want to be talking to something if you're in public or you're talking about something more. Sensitive sensitive or you just need to do something quick um, and you might want to text you know so there are, there are a lot of technologies that are really dependent on context and within conversations context is important they're different type of context for serving up the content that you need in a recent post of yours on having better conversations you wrote and i quote for people who you already work with get out of email and actually talk tell me more about that and who it was directed toward. In the process of trying to teach machines how to talk to humans, you learn a lot about how complex it is between humans talking to humans. And because, like I said, context is so key and things like the mechanics of conversation, of what makes for a successful conveyance of meaning, a message from one person to the other, and everything that's necessary to negotiate that meaning in real time. We're really good at doing that, human beings face-to-face. -face. But when you add other elements that sort of get in the way, like email, which is static, and it's designed in such a way to convey something, and then kind of lob it over the transom as an old publishing term. Asynchronously too, asynchronously. Yeah, yeah. you can have a good, uh, well-threaded email conversation, no problem. But you have to be aware of the limitations and not trying to put too much on the other person. So that piece that I wrote about how to make 
you know, how to have better conversations, get out of email and talk more, was really centered at organizational culture and helping people understand that if you have better conversations in real life and you understand the mechanics of that and how much can be alleviated with um, negotiation of meaning and, and when things get misaligned and correcting in real time and having an awareness of how real life conversations work can really, really inform how you design and build conversations for machines to be involved. And does your design thinking translate a voice interface to perhaps a different type of a chat interface? Like, I don't want to use the word chatbot, but I say a chat interface. Would, would that design thinking be the same for those two media? There are different things to be aware of. Um, if you've ever had a text or chat conversation with another human being, and that's your medium to convey your message, you know that you start having multi-thread start. You're t you, it's like you're almost too impatient to, to talk about one topic at a time, right? So you have multiple topics you talk about, and then you sometimes you have your own special, if you talk a lot to each other that way, you have your special codes to know, like, I'm talking about this thing now, I'm talking about this other thing, and you're answering, answering multi-threaded questions, you're talking about the shopping list, and pick this up on your way home, oh, and so-and-so said this, and you know that that conversation just ended, you get where I'm going, it's like, you could have this kind of mental tree where you're engaging with another human over chat interface. Chat is like literally a synonym for talking. So you, you a lot of the same rules apply. But yes, when you're trying to then simulate that and one side of that is uh, a machine talking, what do you do with all of that multi-threadedness? Do you be prepared for it? Do you handle it, uh, you know, pivoting to a different part of the conversation? Do you build in some repair to sort of help someone be on the guardrails of what you can and can't handle in that moment? But being, in a, being aware of how humans do it, it helps you at least conceive of how big the problem is in terms of making that a natural interface. And um, that's where conversation repair is and designing for, quote, failure. I hate, I hate the term failure, but um, designing for the edge cases and designing for when you're off topic are pretty key to, to making it successful. So let's stay on that thought of, of building a solution and yes, managing exceptions and errors, but where's the starting point? Where do you focus? And what role does defining a persona play? But there are fundamentally just a few things to really understand to as your foundation. So number one, you need to understand who the interlocutors are. Who's your user? Who, who, who are you talking to? And, and, and who are you talking on behalf of? So you mentioned persona. Um, and traditionally in design, um, people think of persona as the, who are you, you know, maybe different user personas you're sort of um, reaching. In, in this space where you're actually representing a, a machine that's has to have a persona has to you're building a character here who's talking or chatting it you know you, you have to understand who the two sides are and here's where it starts to get a little uncomfortable it's an easy pivot for brands that might have some sort of iconic um, character or persona that they've had perhaps in tv spots or something like that they can probably shift pretty easily to this mindset but if you're 
I don't know, a, a pick on financial, like a bank or an insurance company or something like that. Well, those insurance companies have some great personas or airlines or, you know, these so-called verticals that their knee-jerk reaction is, wait, we don't need personality or, you know, we're serious financial, you know, this is finances, people's money, and we're serious business. So we don't need to get all silly or anything like that. That's the, the, I think, the fundamental hurdle that this new kind of conversation economy is um, needing a, a mind shift to succeed in. And that is, look, it doesn't matter what your product is. It doesn't matter what your brand is. If you were to hire and, 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 and help craft your perfect employee, your perfect representative of your company to that now in this new era, you have a chance to have your, what you've always wanted, a one-to-one reach, an audience of one with your user base, your end users. Who is that? What do they stand for? What are their, if you have core brand values, what does that sound like? It doesn't have to be a hip, silly character. It could be the trustworthy Whatever it is you stand for as a brand and as an institution, as a company, as a trusted partner that the that the, your user is talking to, what is that? And you have to stop and define that. And it's a muscle that you have, you know, that that needs to be that's been dormant, and it's there. And it just just takes a little bit of a mind shift to understand that when you can stop and define, you know, a. a a personality of, of who this is that your users are talking to, it provides you all the guardrails you need from then on. Like you can actually define your product roadmap based on that. Like how do we establish trust with that character first? And, and, and then you just go from there and your error handling and how you build your features, which you, what you prioritize first, second, can really all center around knowing what that, that is. How do you personify yourself? And, and maybe your multiples, who knows? Like you don't have to all put all your bank into one as it were, <laughs> um, but that's fundamental. But you mentioned guardrails and, and a little bit on error handling. My sense is it's easier in a chat, in a, in a text interface to fall back on a human handoff if we have an error. And the human is just has his or her fingers on a keyboard. So you may not know that. If we've got a voice persona and you're bumping into some edge cases, what's the best way to manage that? The, the absolute challenge is that for conversation repair, is that in real life, we do this in real time. So you, you need to, you, you correct course as, you, as things go wrong and you negotiate meaning to get back on track. And then when you build these systems, you often have to do this ahead of time. It's easy to get caught in the trap of, I'll just put a lot of if conditions. If this happens, we'll say this, and then and then it, it'll happen one more time, and then we'll cut them off, and we'll have some fallback message. You do sort of need ultimate fallbacks, but um, the best the best strategy is is um, first of all prevention. Think of all the ways that pe- people are first of all cooperative. They want to accomplish. So don't 
cater your error handling to what you think people will just try who are trying to break the system that's not your those are not your cooperative users you're talking to so just first of all recognize that people are cooperative and then given that they are inherently cooperative and want to participate what can you anticipate of how they will interact with you to try to get back on track they'll ask you questions about the question they'll ask for help they'll ask what what can I do? They'll ask you to repeat yourself. Um, you have to be ready to kind of repeat your question, rephrase it. So all that, I call it a pound of prevention <laughs> to really prepare for all the ways that it can get off track. And, you know, this is where you have to be ready to sort of let the wires show uh, when needed. So if you have a character that you've defined that is like, it, it's okay to say that, hey, I can't, I can't do that right now, but here's what you can do. Or, you know, to have like your fallback and just no dead ends, basically. And give them something to go on um, and then user test it. Test it early and often um, because you'll get surprised as to what you think was maybe a problem and hard to get back on track, maybe isn't. And so don't paint yourself in a corner as a project either and, and try it out and try your different repair strategies because they're going to vary depending on the context um, of what you're, what kind of conversation you're building. All right. And you mentioned content and context. So talk a little bit about the data that you might be collecting, what, what you expect to find, maybe historical data, social data about people, some things from prior conversations. How, how critical is it to have the richest portfolio of data to support what you're delivering then as part of that interface? Mm. That's a um, that's a critical question because, and it, it's something we all have to kind of face. And and as as anyone working in conversational business, we have to stop and appreciate the fact that really good conversations and really helpful assistive conversations do rely on a lot of context. So, um, and that does require data, and it does require sort of uh, tracking what someone has done earlier in the conversation, maybe previously. You now at Google, we give you all the controls you need to, you know, wipe out your previous conversations and all your activity as needed, because context is the scaffolding we build conversations with, but um, trust is the foundation. So, you know, people need to be able to trust how you're using that data. So that said, if you've established a good foundation of trust and the user really feels like you are the best conversation participant and you're, you know, and, and you give them everything they need in context, then the more data, the better in terms of um, context. So a very simple example is that if you are in, in a chat or conversation experience, and then you go through something and you transact, something happens, and then you come right back in five minutes later, or you come back in a month later, that time difference matters as to how you might start the next conversation. So whoever's building it would want to know things like just a timestamp of when they were there last, and then the designer might want to 
change the greeting slightly based on how that was, how you, you know, how you, what you did before. You might want to say, hey, welcome back. That was quick. Did you forget something? As opposed to, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How did that such and such work out? So just something as simple as tracking that they've been there before. That's important, you know, and how, how I think people are willing to give a little more once they've established that foundation of trust, knowing they actually expect that from you. So in some user studies from previous um, consulting work I did with um, previous companies, we found that banking, to use banking again as an example, that if you, you have all your money in the bank, they like have your money. So when you call in and um, they don't know who you are based on your phone number and who you are, and you have to sort of prove that you're worth talking to like here I am at the counter ready can you can I have access to my money please in the user studies we did we found that people actually expect you have all my money you should know who I am when I call you Um, I think the same goes for something like this if someone invests their time and their energy into doing something and they accomplish something in their world um, the next time around they're kind of kind of want you to know that they were there before and that that mattered and that was important it's it's that's when it'll really be useful it's when everyone sort of trusts and has built this sort of relationship with ever with whoever they're interacting with um that entity and and there's a fine line in terms of welcome back and not kind of being creepy i think that's actually that's a fair point um there is a, a lot of people are worried about the creepiness factor because it is a little uncomfortable and how do you how do you broach that topic? And this is where, again, it requires all discipline. So you need to, as you personify your brand and you have all that, you should have, you should get to know who your users are. Different users might be comfortable with different levels and test out those dialogues. But you might want to ask about, did you get the thing that you ordered that we talked about last time? Because that's very essential to this conversation. And maybe not when you start diverging into these other areas like um, personal details, you know, that's a little bit like, you know, that's not, I, I feel like we're not there yet. We can't go there until we've sort of tackled some of the the fundamental problems around just trying to get the, these uh, systems to function more along the lines of how uh, the technology is capable of right now. And then we sure. can push the envelope into these other areas. And I think expectation setting will just evolve over time as as people do this more and more. Do you find um, challenges in terms of users willing to engage or are they typically willing to engage with these systems? How people are interacting with it today and how they're interacting with it in a week or a month's time are going to be completely different. And also the user base, it's not a good foundation as the user base because of all the people, first of all, that even own one of these devices versus not. I mean, I, I think um, one area I'm really passionate about is that this field and this type of technology, voice technology, um, conversational chat interfaces, really opens up a world of opportunity for reaching people who have been left behind by technology, mm-hmm. people with literacy or economic barriers. Um, there, are so, there are so many people that you can now reach with this type of technology that it's just a little 
more familiar, a little closer to how they might be familiar with interacting with a person. So therefore, technology might be a little less intimidating than perhaps it is if it's just websites or mobile apps or all the other ways that technology has represented itself to them. So you need to constantly be evolving and looking at, okay, given how things have shifted, now what are people doing? And now, oh, this is interesting. They're now this new kind of interface has sort of opened up that sort of opportunity. And we will, we will see these shifts happening so rapidly that it really bears in mind to stop and appreciate the fact that it is moving so rapidly. And it's, um, that's what I meant by it's a whole new world. And you can't base, base it on assumptions of how you build your business models from the past. So the fundamental difference that I see, and we talked a little bit about the similarities between kind of a conversational text interface and voice, but it really, I think there's a fundamental difference and we'll see if you agree. You, you've, you've talked a lot about, and you just mentioned about technology. We're not turning GUIs into voice to VUIs. They're not, VUIs, yeah. it's really VUIs, it's different. Uh, and I think the key that I'm hearing is we should find the opportunity to use voice at the right place today. And then tomorrow there might be more opportunities to use it again and again. Is, is, is that a fair trend that you see? I definitely, um, if you have, and it'll open up opportunities that you didn't know how to surface before also that might surprise you. So you might have a mobile app that's just, you know, it, it's it's complex and it does all these things and you you need to look at two things one if you want to voiceify it or make it a conversational experience first of all you look at it and go oh there are these top functions it does the no-brainer stuff that the people will always go the high volume stuff and you know make that also easy to access with a conversational interface but the second thing is what about that one function that you were so proud of that's really complex that you do that you actually have to get through five clicks to do and it's actually kind of buried and everyone was can't believe no one else and no one can find it because the whole team works so hard and it's such a powerful thing. What about that thing now that you can cut through with one question and you can cut all the way through and surface something, a functionality or a feature or a service or some sort of assistive function that you couldn't before that now you can because you can cut through all of that with voice. Those are sort of the two sides of it, the two opportunities. So what skills do you think are required as we build a team? Uh, Who's got to be on this team now? Because this is a kind of entirely new world here that you're defining. So you're going to have a hard time finding someone who's uh, an expert in conversation design for years and years and years. But um, I think the the first thing that businesses need to think about in this new arena is structuring the teams at which com- that will facilitate good conversation design and the multitudes of disciplines that will be needed to make it successful. So what I mean by that is you can no longer separate the tactical from the strategic, the marketing and the operations, these the you know user research from the analytics and and all of the operational aspects that that come with it you have to think about cross organizational conversations as it were um, that need to happen for everyone to be aware of how your in all your touch points that you have with your content with your 
search engine optimization, all of it, your your baseline content and how your teams interact with the your overall uh, user experience and all your contact points, um, be it social media, advertising, um, or just your call center operations, all of it, you need to have a cross-functional awareness of that. Otherwise, this context and building conversations will be done in silos and it'll also affect financially how you structure your groups. You can't just have, oh, an emerging technologies group. You guys go explore this space. It doesn't work. We've seen um, really a lot of lessons learned from companies trying to do this and realizing that as they then go to market, oh, they weren't talking to the people who know how to tell their stories in marketing or the um, brand awareness people or the user-centered design area. And that's the fundamental business shift that everyone needs to be thinking about. And then individually, as you hire teams in there, there are lots of areas you can look at. Um, People with linguistics background, people with just theater background or storytelling or UX writing um, and find people who know how to have come who are good communicators journalism background gaming you'll be surprised at the types of people that are um, the, what you need is smart creative people who could then work in sort of symbiotic relationships with the tech uh, side and then you might find the opposite you might find tech people who are actually really good at music or storytelling and people will surprise you. And so when you put them in kind of a, a little bit of a chaotic environment, if you will, where they can thrive and, and sort of figure out what their symbiosis uh, relationships are, that's when you'll start to see um, conversation methodologies um, come into play. And we really want to help with this by giving you a lot of documentation tools and videos. And that's what my new video series is about. Nice. So you've made a number of start. Star Trek references. You maybe have the best Twitter handle in the world with seven of none. Um, what do you see then maybe five years out? What do you think will be five years out and 10 years out? Look, we, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I fantasize about this a lot. I read a lot of sci-fi. I listen to podcasts. And um, so I don't know where we'll be in five years or 10 years, but what I think that fundamentally it will be about is these devices are going to come and go like how, what kinds of devices we're using to channel that, you know, interaction, whether it's a screen or a speaker or something with a screen or haptics or virtual reality. Like there are all these devices that are going to come and go that are, that everyone's going to try and, and, and get a handle on and, and see how they fit in this interaction model. But I'm hoping it will be is just, this simple concept of being able to talk to two people and get things done. It's, it's no longer about information. It's about getting things done in your world without friction. Fantastic. Nandini Stalker, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Trends will change. We know that. But we've had hundreds of thousands of years of talking to each other, and that really defines who we are not our keyboards and not our screens. And it's time to make sure we think fully about the nature of the communications we deliver through our products and what provides the best user experience. My thanks to Nandini Stalker of Google for making us think big. For the Impact Podcast, I'm John Pryle.